Good morning, you're listening to Breakfast Bites and I'm Felicia King. Today's show I'm going to be talking about a number of uh, privacy related issues with things like wearable technology, uh, IoT, which is the Internet of Things sort of technology, which are the things that you find uh, in the, the smart home technology like Ring and Nest some items associated with uh, some new ransomware related treasury guidance which is very interesting and then some bluetooth issues so uh, let's get started i want to start with the whole bluetooth topic first it has been my observation that something has been happening recently that didn't happen very much at all in the past and i did investigation into this and found some interesting things to share with you so my observations have been that let's say be driving around in my vehicle and my bluetooth on the phone will of course be paired with the bluetooth in the automobile and be driving even down a country two-lane road and happen to pass a particular vehicle and then the bluetooth loses its association with the vehicle and the solution of course is to refresh that connection and refreshing the connection from the phone side seems to not fix it it's always got to be from the automobile side and now this is operating with you know, updated vehicle firmware, because yes, I know how to do those sorts of things. And if you haven't updated the firmware in your automobile uh, technology management system, that might be something you want to look into. A little tidbit on that, though, is that I really strongly recommend that you do that procedure yourself or get an IT professional to do that. I am not a big fan of taking it over to the dealership for that uh, because, you know, and I'm not criticizing dealerships, but I'm not going to say that the majority of them that I've ever worked with have performed that in the most efficient process. My discovery of the most efficient process for vehicle updates is to not try and do it through your cell phone and do not try and do it over wireless because these updates are very, very large files, maybe three gigabytes to five gigabytes. So you're much better off to look at the car manufacturer's website and follow the process that describes using a blank USB flash drive and that you have to do it very, very explicitly and specifically. It's a very careful process. And there are written procedures for it. And generally, if you try it a couple times, you're probably going to figure it out. But the process takes a long time. And because the vehicle has to be running the entire time, you certainly would not want to have your vehicle sitting there burning gasoline and doing wear and tear on the engine for two hours because it's trying to download over wireless some extremely large file. So the USB flash drive approach I have found through direct experience is much more efficient. Okay, back to the Bluetooth topic. What I have also observed here is that the this incidence of driving past other vehicles and experiencing where their Bluetooth or the Bluetooth from someone else's mobile device literally breaking that connection and that association that 
your device has with your automobile, this is happening more and more frequently. Now, I also encountered something interesting, which is that uh, my office is about, let's say, 600 feet off the road, and I happen to be uh, out front working on some things in the yard um, and wearing earbuds, okay, and was at least 300 feet off the road, well, 250 to 300 feet off the road at that time. And I noticed the closer and closer that I got to the road, the more intermittent interference was occurring with the earbuds. And this really did not happen in the past. So I think that some things have changed on multiple levels. One thing that's changed that I think is a culprit of this is that Google and Apple have released versions of the operating systems of their mobile devices that now include some new protocol capabilities for Bluetooth to where it is attempting to do a proximity association with everything. It's like a nasty, nosy neighbor. And they did this enablement out of COVID contact tracing. So this is definitely a new behavior that I'm observing of devices. And it only has been happening since these new operating system updates have been uh, released that were you know, associated with the COVID contact tracing capability. So I did a little investigation. There's a nice little website. It's Bluetooth.com, believe it or not. And there is a, there's a nice little video there about Bluetooth range technology, but more importantly, they have a range estimator, which I found to be of a modicum of accuracy. So let's say, for example, you looked up your mobile phone device model technical specifications and you found out that your phone was listed with bluetooth le1m and on their range estimator they show where given basically no customization so all defaults to the transmit power antenna gain etc and and notice that i'm saying defaults because these would be like standard consumer grade devices right i'm not talking about some hacker who has gone out there and created like a, a wi-fi pineapple with a, a bluetooth enhancer antenna on it or something like that okay so yeah there are hacking you know there's um you know the pringles can antennas amongst other things out there that the hackers can use that will drastically improve range as well as the directionality of the signal. But when we're talking about standard default mode, untweakified consumer grade or even, you know, commercial grade business class technology, these things tend to be much more omnidirectional in their antenna and they're uh, going to be operating much more closely within the stated range capabilities of the antennas and configuration. So that in mind, an LE1M Bluetooth mobile device 
in an outdoor environment, the range is estimated at 70 up to, okay, up to 78 meters, which is consistent with what I've observed. And then you can also do some selectors there where you specify, okay, well, what's the range in an office space as well as a home. And those that that I, I have found specified there, uh, again, I think it's important when you're looking at this range estimator, if you choose to go out there and check it out, that you contemplate both sides of this transaction. So for example, your mobile device, it, it has a larger battery, it has a larger antenna, it is obviously going to be able to transmit and receive with more power just because it has more power and it has a larger antenna. However, the device that it's talking to, let's take some earbuds, for example, those earbuds don't have the same size antenna. Thank God, because do you really want that kind of an antenna right inside of your skull, you know, inside your ear canal? Probably not so much. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't think I would want that kind of transmit power in my ear canal. You know, things to contemplate there. <laughs> so uh, you have to think about both sides of the transaction. So on one side of the transaction is the mobile device. The other side of the transaction is your earbuds. However, let's say we're looking at this scenario where you're driving down the road. And I actually experienced this going down the interstate somebody came driving along next to me and it basically blew out the bluetooth connection again and i mean so if you're experiencing this now you know what's going on you know somebody else is driving along next to you or they they cross you in oncoming traffic or anything like that and it blows out your bluetooth connection now you know what's going on this did not happen before until the covid contract tracing uh, os modifications happened to mobile devices that made these bluetooth radios unnecessarily promiscuous you know where they're out there trying to just associate 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 with you know anything and they're basically broadcasting these little ssid packets trying to find out you know who they're to, who they are in proximity to so uh some just some data for you to think about i thought the range estimator was really interesting it certainly does shed a great deal of light on uh, a topic that there has been a a lack of what I would call consumer awareness about where most consumers seem to think that Bluetooth's range is 15 to 30 feet all the time. And that's not true. That's absolutely not true. There are actually some versions of Bluetooth that can go up to 125 meters in an outdoor space. Yeah, and it, that can be improved if you were to crank up certain settings i mean let's just say you cranked up the transmitter power well it can get up to 582 meters <laughs> you know so uh it it's an interesting little range estimator to play with if you have an interest in that i i certainly do suggest you check that out okay uh let's talk briefly about the treasury put out some guidance recently that uh, basically said, if you pay ransomware payments, you may be outright violating the anti-money laundering statutes from the Financial Crimes Enforcement Network and uh, OFAC, which is the Office of Foreign Assets Control. And I agree with this. Why? Why is anybody paying ransomware? Why? Don't do it. 
Look, if you ever think that paying ransomware is going to be something that you would do, then I, I think you just completely are lacking faith in your organization's ability to effectively thwart the attacks to begin with or to recover. And, you know, maybe that's what you should ought to be focusing your energies on rather than being like, oh, oh, I don't know, maybe, you know, we should tell the treasury that, you know, this is, it's too harsh. And, and I say that because there was actually a, a CTO from a, a very large cybersecurity company who uh, literally made some, what I consider to be ridiculous statements. Uh, to quote him, he said, the treasury's advisory is well-intentioned but it will add more pressure and complexity to victim organizations that are trying to recover after a security incident. Well, I, oh, I guess this is a bit of a topic that I have a lot of passion about simply because I've been doing this for 25 years. And every organization that I've ever worked with, and we can certainly say every organization that we are well aware of having been breached and had ransomware, that made it into the news, every single one of those organizations had the financial resources in order to proactively address their security gaps if they would have simply had the political will to do so. You know, if we look at something like Equifax, how on earth can we make an intellectually honest argument that says that Equifax didn't have the financial resources to have people patch servers in a timely fashion. It's ridiculous. If you look at the Target breach, Target was paying $2.5 million for FireEye, but then Target had literally disabled some of the security features in the, the FireEye software and monitoring system. And then when... FireEye contacted their internal IT and said, you know, look, we've got these security alerts that are flying off the right, you know, they're just like beeping all over the place. It was a whole lot of non-response and crickets. And I consider a level of complicitness on both sides. Now, I'm certainly not privy to their internal contract details, but I can guarantee you that if I was the CTO of FireEye, I would have been working very hard at getting the executive management team at Target on the phone and telling them, hey, folks, you've got a problem here. <laughs> and your internal IT is not responding to it. We've tried contacting them for days now, and we can't get a hold of them. This is a problem. You know, I mean, they're at the point in time that you spend two and a half million dollars on a security solution. I'm thinking that part of that should have been the configuration of the bat phone. I mean, really, <laughs> if I would have been the CIO of Target, I would have literally said to the CTO of FireEye, here, here's my cell phone. You call this 24 hours a day. If poop hits the fan, you let me know. I want to know, right? I want to know. <laughs> so, so it's like, why do these silly things keep happening? We can't make an argument that there isn't enough budget to take care of it. And it's getting deadly serious at this point. People are dying because they can't get medical care because these hospital organizations have inadequate security. And I continue to be disgusted by what I consider to be 
incorrect decision-making processes. I was working with a healthcare organization and they had worked with us for several years to remediate their, <clears throat> uh, their infrastructure. They had a great deal of security going on. They still had an awful lot of gaps that they needed to address. And they could have easily addressed them if they would have just ha had the political will to deal with the situation. However, they did not have the political will to allocate the funds to it. So their approach was to fire the internal, the entire internal IT team, and then to hire an external company who supposedly, and I do say supposedly, because I don't really believe that that's what they were delivering, but they supposedly had a great deal of expertise in HIPAA. Now, what I directly witnessed them doing within their first two months of taking over was that they pulled out every piece of network layer security that was there. They didn't understand how to run the network. They didn't understand how to run the wireless. They disabled Windows Update on the systems. Uh, they failed to maintain endpoint protection on the systems. And they are apparently still not aware after many, many months later, that the internal systems are still actually sending notifications out to my team, which is how I'm aware of the lack of security in their infrastructure. I mean, I'm not saying that I have access to their infrastructure, but I can't stop it when their internal infrastructure is still sending us email notifications, right? I mean, I have no control over that. So <clears throat> I know for a fact that they were paying this company over $100,000 a year. So then for $100,000 a year, why are they pulling out security that was already in place? The people had already spent money on in order to become HIPAA compliant. So this is what I'm talking about. Absolute egregious failures in decision-making processes that shouldn't be happening. But yet this is what happens all the time. So I've got no sympathy when people say, Oh, well, you know, we have to pay this ransomware payment. No, on this matter, I absolutely 110% back the U.S. Treasury FinCEN guidelines and the Office of Foreign Asset Control. No, we're not going to pay ransomware payments to criminals. It's not going to happen. Uh, I looked at some statistics recently and found something absolutely fascinating, which is that there is more financial crime in the United States alone than the entire size of the U.S. debt. <laughs> okay, so, wow, what does that mean? That means we wouldn't have the U.S. debt if the financial crime would just be ceased and desisted because then those funds could be going into, you know, productive legal operations, adding value to GDP, driving tax revenue. Just my opinion on that. <clears throat> okay. So let me move on to uh, some interesting things about wearables. So the wearables are quite a bit of an issue that a lot of people are not thinking about. You know, Fitbit's counting your steps. Uh, Garmin was hacked. Fitbit has been hacked. Uh, Under Armour was hacked. Under Armour had a fitness and nutrition app. Uh, there's a fitness tracking app called Strava. And they were hacked. 
And the worst part is, is that apparently a lot of the U.S. military was utilizing Strava. And in that hack, the location of U.S. military bases, as well as individual users by name, was part of the data leaked in the hack. Then Polar Flow was also a fitness app that was hacked. It, it breached names, photos of people, home addresses of tens of thousands of users. And that also happened to include staff from intelligence agencies such as the U.S. Secret Service. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I, I really. So at what point in time is CISA? You know, the, the cybersecurity initiative, you know, whatever agency, whatever their name is, CISA is part of basically the U.S. government, and DOD. When are they going to put out a guidance that says, look, you know, if, if you work for U.S. Secret Services, you know, or you're in the U.S., the U.S. military, we really don't think it's a good idea to you to, for you to be using, you know, fitness apps and Fitbits and, you know, wearable technology like that that because really i mean can we make an argument that these things are so rock solid that they're not going to be hacked and that they aren't going to become a national security risk i mean I've, i think it would make an argument that it's a national security risk if the home addresses of members of the u.s secret services with their names and profile photos if that is now out there on the dark web, gee, that sounds like an opportunity for foreign agencies to put out a hit list. You know, it, this is none of this is good. So why don't we have a policy in place that says just stop with these silly wearables? <clears throat> now, back onto this whole uh, Bluetooth topic, I wanted to make sure that I told you about a thing that's happening lately. It's called the blur attack. So the blur attacks is basically, and it's uh, it exploits the lack of cross transport key validation between um, between Bluetooth devices. So the Bluetooth cross transport key derivation, I said derivation there, it's vulnerable to attacks that enable the Bluetooth Classic to be attacked from Bluetooth low energy devices and vice versa. So back and forth. So there's impersonation attacks, man-in-the-middle attacks, malicious session attacks, um, arbitrary device attacks, and there's no fix for this right now. The, the people who determined that this was an issue have, which by the way were some um, geniuses coming out of Sweden, I believe, and they just basically put it out there and said, we are recommending that the manufacturers of Bluetooth devices, those that are actually writing code for how Bluetooth function, uh, that they disable the capability to overwrite keys in a CKTD functionality. You know, so I mean, that's that's outside of our hands, right? But then everybody, for, they basically say for everybody else, you just need to disable the Bluetooth. If you're not actively using it, just disable it. And really, frankly, that's been the guidance that's been in place for a very long time is that if you're not using it, then you should disable it. Uh, back onto the whole IoT device security issue, 
uh, there was a, a study in 2019 that found that 89% of Amazon Fire TV channels and 69% of Roku channels keep tabs on users' viewing habits. And there's this thing out there that's kind of colloquially, colloquially referred to as the data beast. And I think that's an accurate description because the data beast is all of these agencies, yes, I am talking about government agencies, U.S., domestic, and foreign, as well as the data beast of all these commercial entities who are drastically much more interested in the data about you than even the funds that they make from other services that they provide. Now, I've heard, and I don't know this is for a fact, so that's my caveat in this, but I have heard that utility companies are able to actually make more money by selling the data related to the usage habits of the premises that they provide service to than they do from direct from delivering the utility services directly so if that's actually true then that's just a great example of the data beast right there so there's a an an iot researcher discovered that 72 out of 81 iot devices examined share data uh, and that that they examined in this particular study so this is obviously the vast majority if it's 72 out of 81 of these devices that they examine is they share data with third parties that are absolutely absolutely unconnected to the original manufacturer so you know how many times have you heard me talk about transitive trust agreements this may or may not even be related to transitive trust agreements this this just may be them making money off of your data you know feeding the data beast and apparently opting out of this data collection is not really an option in a lot of cases. And what's the issue? Well, the issue is, is that data about users can be used to create very sophisticated profiles about them. And some of that data <clears throat> might not be that sensitive, such as perhaps, perhaps maps of the floors of your home or how warm you keep your home which yes, oh yes, this IoT, these IoT devices can absolutely help generate that data. But if you combine some data and you get personally identifiable information that marketers are then using to target products and services to you better, it's, it's possible that these observations could be used in lawsuits such as like child custody battles or shared with law enforcement. And as you probably already know, because I brought it up on the show before, Ring partnered with more than 400 police and fire departments last year, and they've only expanded that. And this was a, this is a bit of an interesting topic because I got into this recently with a gentleman who was saying that, oh, well, I don't want to spend any more than $1,000 on a, a surveillance system. You know, and he wanted to do license plate recognition and a, a variety of, of other things, which he was just having some very unrealistic expectations about what could be done with a thousand dollars. Okay. You can't, you can't be getting license plate recognition and a whole surveillance system for under a thousand dollars. It's that that's a silly, it's just silly. So he was of course looking at the ring technology and my point to him was why, 
haven't you done some basic research on Ring and found out that the technology literally cannot be secured? It inherently is designed to function such that it phones home to the mothership. It is uploading all this content to a cloud server that you don't own, that you don't have control over, that there are most definitely transitive trust agreements in place, and you have no ability to opt out of or revoke your consent to having that data shared against your will proactively. You have no control over that. So effectively, this reminds me of something that John Brennan said when he was in front of a testimony in Congress, and this was many years ago. He was making an argument, and um, he was pretty flippant about it at the time, by the way. He was basically saying that end users, whether they're businesses or residential, et cetera, are going to buy technology at their own expense, install it at their own expense, and literally facilitate the spying on them. Just put it in there and, you know, facilitate it. So there's a, I saw an, a really interesting article also about a Milwaukee couple who were tormented and, and after they were hacked because their ring devices basically let some bad guys in. So just give that some thought before you buy this stuff. All right, well, that's it for today's show.